Well, as I was pulling up to the stop sign, there was a car still in front of me, and I looked across the intersection. It was a hotel parking lot, and there I saw the police car. And as soon as I saw the police car, all of a sudden I heard, good morning, Brian Persley, coming out of the police car speaker. And I had a really good friend who was a police officer, and so I sent him a text that said, breakfast, question mark, and he said, you bet. And I said, where? He said, I'll follow you. And so we got, <laughs> we got on the road, and then we got on the interstate, and I got to see all the cars just pump the brakes as soon as they saw the police car, and it was great. And I decided, you know what, I'm just going to go for it. And so I floored it and went in the passing lane with the police right behind me, and I was just watching the faces of the people as I passed them by because they're all freaking out about the police officer. And one person, we, we locked eyes, and they, they mouthed, you crazy at me as I'm just, <laughs> as I'm passing them. And, and we passed a whole line of traffic. We pulled off the interstate. We pulled into breakfast. He gets out of his car laughing. He said, do you have any idea how fast you were going? I said, nope. And he said, you're lucky I'm on your side. And we went in and we had breakfast and it was a great day. What we're going to be talking about today is the importance of having people on our side, the importance of having somebody on our side. But what we're going to be talking about is even more important than having people on our side. What we're going to talk about today is the fact that if you've made the decision to follow Jesus that God himself is on your side. And I, I, am, I promise you, and I'm here to tell you, it does not get better than that. So we're going to be in the New Testament book of Romans today. If you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app. It's a free resource that you can download in the app store of your choosing. And once you've installed that on your device, enable the events feature and enable your locations, either by enabling them or typing in zip code 54201. There, Lakeside Community Church will pop up. If you have a traditional Bible with you, we'll be in the New Testament book of Romans, chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 31 this morning, so you can turn there. If you're streaming from home, thanks for joining us. The verses will be available on the screen below. We're going to get to Romans 8, 31 in just a moment, but we're in the middle of something we're calling brand new. And what we saw when we started this series is we saw that at the moment we make the decision to follow Jesus, at that moment that we make the decision to follow Jesus, we are new creations, that we are made brand new. And we saw not only are we new creations, but God is continually working on our behalf, that Jesus is now our mediator, and Jesus is invested and involved in our lives, and he is our mediator. And then what we saw was all this is available to us, not because we're incredible people, not because we do more good than bad, not because we can buy it or earn it or deserve it in any way, but all this is available to us because in God's loving mercy, he offered us this free gift of grace accomplished for us through the sacrifice of his son Jesus on the cross. He rose again three days later, proving he was victorious over sin, death, hell, and the grave. And God freely offers us salvation, not because of us, but because of how great and how good our God is. And last week, what we saw is our response to this isn't to abuse that grace. It isn't to go out and to live lives that look like hell, even though our destination is heaven. Our response to this in gratitude is to live lives that bring honor and glory to the God that we follow. And today, we're going to really rest and we're going to really reflect on this fact of our relationship with God and just how much God loves us 
and just some of the benefit that we have as a result of who God is. So that's where we are this morning in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 31, where we read these words. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This is the concept that you that you need to reflect on. This is the concept that you need to rest in. This is something that you need to cling to and hold on for dear life and and just refuse to let this concept go. The God of the universe, the God who created everything, the God who created you is for you. God is for you. God loves you. God is invested in your life and God loves you. Your creator loves you. God is for you. For us, who can be against us? The problem is sometimes what happens in our world, sometimes what happens in our lives is we know, we know this textbook answer. We know the Sunday school answer that, yeah, God's for us and, and Jesus loves us. We know that intellectually, but it doesn't penetrate our hearts and it isn't something that we grasp onto and we really hold on to. And it's something we know, it's something in our minds. God is for us, but then the, the troubles of this world come and all of a sudden we find out there are people who oppose us. And we start to get freaked out because there are people who don't like us. And there are people who might question things that we do. And we're not able to please anybody. And then we can get ourselves in a a spiral and into a cycle where if we try to please everybody, we find ourselves doing nothing because it's impossible to please everybody. But some people, they get all all their value and all of their worth out of what everybody else says about them. And if somebody's going to say something negative about you, then you become paralyzed by the idea that somebody isn't going to like you or somebody isn't going to approve you. And rather than let this concept be what guides you, the fact that it really doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about you, it doesn't matter if anybody else likes you or approves of you, the God of this universe is crazy about you, rather than hold on to that, we become paralyzed by this idea that there are people that don't like us and there are people that don't understand us and there are people that oppose us. And the sad reality is some people never reach their full God-given potential. Some people never fully do what God would have them do and what God has called them to do because they lose sight of this. And rather than let it be at the forefront of our minds that the God who created us is crazy about us, we hear the noise. We hear the doubters, we hear the complainers, we hear the people that oppose us. And rather than focus on the fact that God is on our side, we focus on the opposition. And the opposition just grows and grows and grows in our minds the more that we focus on it. And the life that God has called his people to is a life where we just reflect and refuse, refuse to let go of the fact that the God who created us who is supreme over everything, is on our side. God is for you. And my hope and my prayer for your life is this is not an intellectual answer that you can spit out at somebody because it's taken part in your brain and you can just repeat it back verbatim. My hope and my prayer for your life is that this has penetrated your heart and you understand and you realize that your creator loves you And it's crazy about you. 
that God is for you. They ask, who can be against us with this? In light of this, who can be against us? And the answer is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who's against us. It doesn't matter who doesn't like you. It doesn't matter who doesn't understand you. It doesn't matter. God is for you. My hope and my prayer and my challenge for you is to remember that. Keep that on the forefront of your mind. Keep that on the forefront of your heart, that God of the universe who is supreme over everything, who created this world and created you, is for you. God is for me. That's how much he loves you. That's how crazy he is about you. And and the question is, well, well, how do we know this? How do we know this? And, And the Apostle Paul gives us an answer. You know how you can know this? You know how you can know this beyond a shadow of a doubt? How crazy God is about you and how much he loves you? Look to the cross. The cross is the answer. The cross is the answer for how you can know how much God loves you and how crazy about you God is. The fact that Jesus came, that God himself came to this world. He took on full humanity, full deity and full humanity in the God-man Jesus. He came to this world and he paid the price for our sins. He met the the standard that none of us could meet, the standard of God, which is perfection, and all of us fall short of that standard. Jesus met that standard, and he paid the price that you and I owed God, but we were unable to pay. Jesus paid that price on our behalf. That's all the proof you need. If you ever start to question, if you ever start to doubt this, when, when all of a sudden all of the noise of all of the doubters and all of the haters and all of the critics come to the forefront of your mind and it seems like this concept is just seeping out of your heart and back into your brain, but it isn't guiding your decision, it isn't guiding how you feel about yourself, it isn't guiding what you think about, my challenge for you is in those moments, you just reflect on the cross and you remember that your creator, who's supreme over everything, loves you, and he is on your side. If God is for us, who can be against us? And then verse 33 goes on to say this, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Now we, now we reach this point where sometimes People who follow Jesus have loved to argue and and debate over these things and and this idea that God chooses people, this idea that God's elect. And and on one hand, you you have people more in the Calvinist camp, more in the Reformed camp, who are like, God God elects people. And then over here, you got people more in the Arminian camp. You have people more in the the non-Reformed camp who are like, no, it's all about free will. And the reality is this. We can't get around the fact that the New Testament talks about God choosing people. We just simply cannot get around that fact. If you read the New Testament, you cannot get around that fact. And on the same hand, if you read the New Testament, you cannot get around the fact that it is very clear that God desires everyone to follow him. You just can't get around these. You can't get around these. And and really, what I want to encourage you with is, is this. Wrestle with it. Read through the New Testament. Pray about it. But don't worry about it. But don't worry about it. Why? Well, because it's God who justifies. So what are these sides really arguing over? Well, the argument over here is whether or not God lovingly reaches out and grabs somebody and pulls them to himself. And the argument over here is whether or not God lovingly reaches out his hand to somebody, and when they touch his hand, he grabs onto them and he pulls them up into himself. So you understand what we're arguing about is whether God pulls people to himself or whether or not God pulls people 
to himself. I mean, either way, God's the one who's doing the saving. God's the one who's doing the saving in either scenario. Whether or not God's pulling back or whether or not God's pulling in, God's doing the pulling either way. And the implications that this has for us are a few. The first is this. We don't, we don't know, all right? We don't know how all this works in God's mind, but it does. And when we read the New Testament, we can't get around these concepts, but they're both there. And so somehow in God's economy, this all works together. And none of us are God. So there are going to be things about God we never fully understand. But we have to take at face value what we can understand about God. And these are things that we should wrestle with. These are things that we should discuss and we should talk about. But at the end of the day, the saving work of salvation belongs to God. And so our response should be, as people who live lives, first, we should just take, we should take note of the fact that this is the work of God. And at the same time, we should realize, hey, I want to walk through my life, and I want to let every person that I encounter know the hope that I have in Jesus. I want every person to experience that hope and leave the rest up to God, because it's His work anyways. God is the one who justifies. And this idea of justification is the idea that God is the judge, and when He looks at us, what He sees is not all of our sins, and all of our regrets, and all of our mistakes, but when God looks at us, when He sees those sins, and those regrets, and those mistakes, what He sees is the cross, the sacrifice of Jesus. It is God who justifies. And that's important because now we go on to verse 34, which says this, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed, who indeed is interceding for us. And so the question is, who's in the position to declare you guilty? And spoiler alert, this is a rhetorical question. This is a rhetorical question. This isn't a question that you're supposed to answer. Well, my spouse, my mother-in-law, my boss. No, it's, it's not that. You're not supposed to answer this question. There's no one in the position to declare you guilty when God himself has justified you. And this is, this is vital that you understand this. Because we all have the reels that play over and over and over in our heads. We all have those moments. We would take back if we could, but we can't. When we're awake, three o'clock in the morning, and it seems that the video in our minds is just on repeat and it won't go away. And from three to 301 feels like an hour, not a minute. But we find ourselves in the cycle of shame and regret, and bitterness, and angst. And the enemy wants to come, and he wants to discourage all of us who follow after Jesus. 
He wants to remind us of all of those mistakes that we've made, all of those things that we regret, all the parts of our life that we don't like to talk about and we really hope most people don't find out about, but all of those things that are there that plague the minds and the hearts of all of us. In those moments, the enemy wants to come and he wants to steal, he wants to steal our joy and he wants to remind us of all of those mistakes. And the message that we're given here is he's in no position to do so. He's in no position to bring us guilt. He's in no position to remind us of that. And so I just want to remind you, when you find yourself in the cycle of those moments, when you find yourself carrying shame and regret and hurt and anger and bitterness for years and years at a time, things you've needed to let go of a long time ago, when the, pat, when the weight of your past comes and it weighs you down to the point you have trouble even sometimes taking a breath, in those moments, you when the enemy reminds you of your past, remind the enemy of your future and remind the enemy of his future. Because when God sees those moments of shame, when God sees those moments of regret, when God sees those moments that plague your mind, as a follower of Jesus, what he sees is not your sin, what he sees is not your mistake, he sees the cross. He sees the forgiveness which was purchased for you by his son Jesus dying on the cross, being raised to life. He is now at God's right hand and he's name dropping you. He's name dropping you and he's taking up your cause. This is how crazy about you God is. That Jesus is actively talking to God the Father about you, about what goes on in your life, about what you're experiencing, what you're encountering. This is how crazy God is about you, that he's invested and he's involved in your life. And then Romans 8 continues. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. The question is, who shall separate us from God? Who shall separate us from God? And, and this idea of separation, it's, it's important. Because there are things that, that should never be separated from other things. Those of you who know me know I am not a car guy at all. I just, I don't care. I know some of you love cars. You have just incredible cars in your collection. I'm just, I'm not a car guy. It's just not something that I, I care about at all. Uh, to prove this, I drive a 2010 Honda Civic. That's a little two-door Honda Civic that has chip paint everywhere and paint's starting to fade. On the, on the top of the car, it, it, it is a bit of an eyesore. I thought, hey, you know what? Maybe I'll get the car repainted. And then I got price quotes to get the car repainted. I'm like, I don't even think the car's worth that. I'm not getting it repainted for that. It'll just be an ugly little machine. That's fine. A couple months ago, I needed new wiper blades. And so I went into the store, and they have a book of all the makes and all the models, and so it tells you the fit of the wiper blade that you need. And I went to the Hondas, and then I scrolled down to the Honda Civics, and then found the 2010 Honda Civics. And I looked at the chart, and there was only one pair of wiper blades in the store that were designed to fit on the 
on the wiper installs for the Honda Civic, and I looked over and looked at the price of those and thought, nope, not going to do that. And then I saw some other universal blades that had three different install options, and I'm like, perfect, I'll get those. And so I got the size of those, and I got the blades, and I took them to my house, and then I got in my garage, and all of a sudden I looked, and I'm like, well, there's three options, and I don't know which option it's going to be. So I was able to eliminate one of the options, and then I was left with two options. And one of the options, you had a little plastic insert that you slid into the and slid into the wiper arm, and that would install the blade, but I tried that, and it didn't go in right at first. So the third option was to remove that plastic cover, and I did. I removed that plastic cover, and it slid in perfectly, and I'm like, great. And then I went to the other one, and I said, you know what? I'm just going to try with the, the, the first way, with the plastic cover still on it. And I, when I slid that one in, it slid in for a perfect fit, and I thought, huh, well, that's interesting. I'm sure maybe it just got bent or something in, in the course of everything. So I turned the wiper blades on high. The wipers were fine. Everything was great. Washed the windshield a few times. No issue. And then we had our first heavy snow of the season. And I was driving home from church one night out on County Road S. And I reached the point of County Road S where there is nothing but deer. And I'm driving along and it's just snowing and it's coming down heavy and going slow, and, and there are deer that are in the road, and they look up, and they see a 2010 Honda Civic, and they're like, I'm not moving for that, and I don't really blame them, all right, but I'm like, please move, please move, but you don't want to honk, because deer are dumb, and if you honk, they stop what they're doing. Uh, a hunter taught me that one time, like, if you're ever out, I'm going to give you a hunting tip. I've never been deer hunting in my life, so take it for what it's worth, but if you're ever out there, and you're hunting, make a noise if you've got a good shot, and they'll stop. Let me know if it works. All right, uh, so I'm driving home, and the deer finally move off the road, and I'm like, oh, that's awesome. And I'm watching, watching the deer trot a little bit, and I'm looking for Bambi's brother because there's always another dumb one that's going to come, and I didn't see one. And all of a sudden, I heard a screeching noise. And I look, and the driver's side of my Honda Civic no longer has a wiper blade attached to the wiper arm. I'm like, well, that's going to be an issue. Uh, so I turned the wipers off, but there was nowhere for me to pull off the road because it was a heavy snow and there was just no way for, for me to do it. And so I just turned the defroster all the way on and I'm sweating and uh, finally made it to a point where I could pull off into a gas station. And I get out in the gas station and I look and there on the upper right-hand corner of my windshield on top of the passenger side is just a random wiper blade stuck to the, stuck to the windshield of my car. And so I grab it off there, and I put it in the car, and I drive home, and I tell my wife, I said, Brooke, I'm going to go to the store, and I'm going to buy a new wiper blade. And then I went back out into the garage, and I'm like, no, I'm not. That's going to be 40 more bucks. There's something I should be able to do with this. And then I remembered, I have fishing line. Now, I go fishing once a year, and it's normally just for stories. I'm not a big fisherman. And so I go out, and I get fishing line. And I just tie the, the wiper blade into the wiper arm. And if you look at my 2010 Honda Civic, you will now see on the driver's side windshield that I have my wiper blade tied to the wiper arm with fishing line, and it has stayed attached. And I know some of you are like, that doesn't sound safe. But I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. We've had multiple heavy snows, and it's not budging. It's not moving. I think it's safer. Well, 
maybe not safer, but I think it's just as safe as the wiper blade that was installed perfectly in the plastic arm. Now, why do I tell you all of that about my wiper blades and about them being separated from the wiper arm? Why do I tell you all of that? Because the enemy's going to approach you. And the enemy's going to tell you, hey, think of every time you've messed up. Think of all those mistakes and all those regrets and all of the things that you think about that you can't shake. And you might feel secure in the love of God, but how could God still love you when you've done that? And I just want to remind you that if you're a follower of Jesus, it isn't because of anything you did. It's because of what God has done on your behalf. And you are tied together with Him. You are secure in Him. And what can separate you? The answer is absolutely nothing. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? The answer is nothing. And by the way, this isn't a list of theory that the Apostle Paul just came up with one night. He wasn't just sitting around a campfire and said, what are some horrible situations that people might encounter in this world? And I'll just write those down. No, this was his reality. This was his life. In fact, he goes back and he quotes a psalm when he says, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. This life isn't going to be easy, but the hope and the promise that we have is in those moments where it seems like the world is crumbling down, in those moments where it seems like we are without hope, in those moments where we are reminded of our own shame and regret and our own mistakes, in those moments what has to permeate our heart, move beyond just our head and permeate our hearts is this, nothing can separate us from the love of God. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. We are more than conquerors. The difficulties of this life don't have the final word. And I don't know what it is you're experiencing. I don't know everything you're going through right now. I don't know all the hard times. I don't know how deep and dark and desperate the valley may be. But what I do know is this, they don't get the final word. They don't get to decide the outcome. That belongs to God. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, 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 nothing can separate us from the love of God which means the abuse that you endured, that to this day you carry the scars around with you of, that that has shaped the way that you think about yourself and the way that you think about others. 
the, the questions that creep in your mind of, am I ever going to be good enough? Am I ever going to measure up? Will I ever be worth it? Will I ever be valuable? Am I even worthy of being loved? Your addiction that you've tried to shake and you just can't let go of. And what started as, a, as something that was so much fun and, and brought you a sense of freedom has now overtaken your life. And you can't shake it and you can't let go of it. Which means your affair that ruins your family. That comes back and it haunts you. Do you think about the decision that you made as you chased desire? And now you're left with all of the consequences of that choice. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. God already factored in your stupidity, and he already factored in your mistakes. He already factored in your regrets when he called you unto himself. And he chooses to love you anyway. I remember a movie came out my senior year of high school, my senior year was wrapping up. And it was, a, it was a musical movie, and it had Nicole Kidman in it, and it was called Moulin Rouge, and some of you have seen it, and some of you enjoy the film. But the end refrain of the film sums up the whole theme of the movie. And the end refrain of the film is the greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. The greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. It was one of my go-to date movies. Just, you know, for those of you who are dating, Uncle Brian's going to talk to you here just, just for a second. But just have a couple films that you've seen all the way through picked out. And then based on how the, the conversation's going with somebody that you're interested in, you know, guide them there. I, I would suggest uh, maybe for love of the game, if she's a sports fan, it's got a great story about a pitcher pitching a perfect game, but also some Roman... Great film. Anyways, you know, just have a couple of those. Well, Moulin Rouge was one of those films for me. And, and I was in high school. And then when I was about 20 years old, I, I, I was dating somebody and we broke up. And one night after we broke up, I watched the movie, which was a really dumb move. And I, I remember just watching it and like, oh, I'm 20 and I'm single. I'll never get married. Uh, nobody's ever going to love me. I mean, it was really dumb. And uh, I, I, watched, I watched, watched the movie and, and I'm just fascinated by this. The greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. And it's a universal need, and it's something that all of us experience, and it, it clouds us. We have this need, and we try to fill it. We try to fill it in relationships. We try to fill it in, in other ways of finding significance. And this isn't to say that everything we do to fill this need is bad. Sometimes there are very healthy and productive marriages that come as, as a result of this, where we love each other and we serve each other and we build each other up and we make one another better and we just complement each other as, as marriage is designed by God to be. And sometimes this brings about some really fantastic things. But sometimes this desire for love drives us to make really horrible decisions. It's led to some broken relationships. It's led to some terrible choices that people make when they're out and about. It's led to friendships that lead us to dangerous places. But there's this need that all of us have to be loved. 
And I'm here today to tell you that the movie gets it somewhat right. The greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to be loved, is just to love and be loved in return. But the greatest love available to us is not found in a spouse or a sexual encounter. It's not found in a group of friends or some choices that we make. The greatest love that we will ever experience is from our Creator who loves us without condition and proved it. And He died on a cross to take care of my shame, to take care of my regrets, to forgive my sin and make it so that I could have a restored relationship with the one I rebelled against. God, I pray that we would reflect and we would rest in your love for us. That this would move its way from our heads and it would penetrate our hearts. It would guide everything about us. That when the enemy comes and he reminds us of all of our shame and all of our regret and all of the mistakes that we've made, we would remember the cross. We would remember and reflect on your love. And that there is nothing that we experience in this world that will separate us from that, God. I pray for the person that's here today and the person that's streaming online who's never made the decision to fully trust you with their lives, who's never fully surrendered themselves to you. And God, I pray right now is the moment in the quietness of this room and the quietness of their heart, God, right now, they would embrace that love, confessing that they are a sinner in need of a Savior. God, I pray right now, be that moment. God, that you would save them. I pray, God, that those who've already made the decision to follow after you would hold on to this. No matter what they're facing, no matter what they're experiencing right now, God, I pray they would cling to this truth. Hold on to it. God, that we with grateful hearts would worship you. Not because we're trying to earn anything, because God, it isn't ours to be earned. You've already earned it on our behalf. But with hearts of gratitude, we thank you. We thank you by giving back a portion of that which you've entrusted to us and our finances. We thank you, God, by, by filling our hearts with joy and gratitude and shouting at the top of our lungs our praises for you. And we reflect on just how much that sacrifice cost us, just how much you do love us. Thank you, Jesus, for your love and our salvation. In your name we pray.